Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey there, tech stuff listeners. This is Jonathan Strickland, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something cool going on at How Stuff Works right now. I know all of you guys are really creative and you love technology. Well, now you can show us what you're made of because Toyota is sponsoring a new photo upload widget over at HowStuffWorks.com. You can share your gadget ideas, modifications, hacks, some great tech ideas. Show us what you're made of. Let us know how creative you are. You can go to www.how stuffworks.com slash upgrade your tech and upload those photos now. We want to see what you got. Get in touch with technology with tech stuff from howstuffworks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. Yeah, today we're uh, today we're going to talk about women in tech. Yeah, uh, we wanted to really kind of focus on this because it's an it's a topic that uh, I think bears a lot of discussion, and part of that is just. Due to the fact that there there are fewer by percentage women in technology roles than there are men, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of different reasons for that. I think one of the big ones is there's a there's a, a social pressure that is not necessarily even a conscious one that tends to guide women away from those jobs or men toward those jobs, and it's not. You know, it's it has nothing to do with a, a person's ability to hold that job. Certainly you know, not. No matter what their gender is, it's just that that sort of it's almost like the social roles that we have set out, and it's slowly breaking down. Where you're seeing a lot of cross pollination across genders uh, in both sorts of uh, what? Nothing. Cross, cross pollination is yes. what you're laughing at. Yes. I'm talking about jobs here, buddy. <laughs> jobs. Um, but no, you're seeing okay. So you're seeing a lot of of people working in roles that perhaps were originally thought of as being gender specific, or at least dominated by a particular gender. Um, now, in the the field of technology, that's still pretty much true for men. There was a, 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 a several articles about how many women hold jobs in in the field of technology uh, compared to men, and. Most surveys put them at about uh, 25% of mm-hmm. all jobs in the U.S. anyway, uh, revolving around technology. So just one quarter of jobs. Um, and that if you're looking at the executive level, the numbers are even lower. Uh, the, there's a British tech recruitment group called Harvey Nash. Mm-hmm. And their U.S. division ha- held a survey and discovered that Nine percent of United States chief information officers are female. Mm-hmm. So ninety-one percent are male, uh, and that that's actually a, a smaller percentage than previous year surveys had revealed. Back in uh, 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 2011, it was 11 percent, and in 2010, it was 12 percent. So from 12 to 11 then from 11 to 9 the number appears to be dropping or at least the percentage is dropping keep in mind that you know from one year to the next the number of companies could increase mm-hmm. but the number of of women in executive roles hasn't increased and so that way the percentage goes down right it's not just necessarily that women are getting out of these positions it may be that there are more positions but same number of women right right um and that 30% of the 
four, this was, this was what was particularly troubling. 30% of the 450 American tech executives polled in the survey said their IT groups have no women at all in management positions. And when they were asking the same groups, do you feel that women are underrepresented in your department? Mm-hmm. Half of those people said no. So, so you've got this, this 30% hmm. of these executives saying there are no women in our department. Out of that 30%, half of those are saying women are not underrepresented, which is, uh, that's a fairly telling philosophical and, and social outlook, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it essentially is saying that these people are saying, these men are saying, uh, no, women don't really belong here. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean, it's a, ni- a nicer or, way of saying that, but that's effectively what they are saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, uh, there could be people who are just, uh, there could be people in that group who are looking around and going, well, no, 50% of my department is made up of women or, you know, 45% or something that seems reasonable to them. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that number might be part of it, but right. probably not all of it. Yeah. There are probably and, quite a few when, yeah, you know what? I really don't care who's here. Right. Right. And, you know, ultimately the nice thing would be for us to not care who is there as long as they are the right person for the job. Right, right. Male or female. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, so those statistics are a little troubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but despite those statistics, there are plenty of women we can talk about who have really, uh, made a name for themselves in the field of technology and pushed technology forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this on our podcast was uh, we started talking about Yahoo because of uh, a lot of the big changes that have been going on over there. And we we did touch on that. Um, and it was uh, it was the person who has taken over the helm over there, uh, Marissa Meyer, who uh, I consider one of the, you know, really noticeable women in in leadership positions in technology. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, there are so many others and we we really haven't done a podcast on uh on them as a group and many of the people as Jonathan was pointing out to me just in person before we started the podcast, uh you know, many of these people we could talk about uh in their own podcast. Yeah, do a full episode on these women. So this is really kind of an overview, but don't don't take away thinking that this is all we have to say on the subject of these mm-hmm. ladies. Yeah, definitely. Because they are, um, they're interesting people and they are holding some very uh, important positions in technology and they are making some decisions that are really reflected through techno- the technological industry as a whole, not mm-hmm. just of their company. So there's definitely the opportunity for us to do future podcasts on many of these women. Mm-hmm. And I do have a secondary reason for wanting to do this and it's, it's a very personal reason. I have two daughters. Uh, both of whom, uh, seem to like technology. They're, they're still fairly young, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, it would be nice if, um, they saw a lot of these women that we're going to talk about today as role models. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, maybe they don't necessarily want to get into programming or, or into a technology position, but I want them to see that they can. Uh, you know, and there are, there are people who are really setting the bar very high yes. a, as women in technology positions. Yes, so, I, you know, personally, I, I would like to see them uh, see this as an opportunity if that's something they're interested in later in life. There are many women on this list who achieve more 
by the time they were in their mid-20s than I have in my final year of my (laughs) (laughs) mid-30s. Nice. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, I got to hold on to that as long as I possibly can. This is it. This is it. After, you know, next year I'm in my late 30s. Well, if if some of those people who said that they don't see um, any uh, discrepancy in the numbers – for women in technology, I wonder if they know that the very first programmer, computer programmer, was a woman. Uh, we actually talked about her Lovelace. a long time ago. Yes, Ada Lovelace. Ada Lovelace. Yes, we had a, an entire podcast on her, as well as I think stuff you missed in history class did an yes. episode on mm-hmm. her too. Fascinating historical figure and an incredibly smart woman and uh, incredibly smart human being. I well, mean, that's really just woman. Just sounds like I'm adding a qualifier on right. there, and that's totally not what I mean. She was wicked smart. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're writing software for a computer that doesn't actually physically exist, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it would have worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, so yeah, it, these are all amazing people that we're going to be talking about. Now, I think we should probably start with Marissa Meyer. Even though we covered her in the Yahoo podcast, I think it's good to remind people who she is and what she's accomplished already. And she's one of the things she's accomplished is she became the youngest CEO of a Fortune 500 company once she took over the, the reins over at Yahoo. Yep, and she uh, she took over, well, not exactly directly, but they, uh, Yahoo had had a, a female CEO uh, shortly, <laughs> uh, only maybe months before yeah. that. So uh, yeah, Carol, Carol Bartz, Carol Bartz who, who uh, built Autodesk into a, a very, very strong company too. Uh-huh. And um, – Meyer came from Stanford University where mm-hmm. she graduated. She had a degree in symbolic systems and a master's in computer science, uh, specializing in art- artificial intelligence. And she really made a name for herself over at Google. Mm-hmm. You know, she became the 20th employee at Google. She was the first female engineer at Google, not yeah. the first female employee, but the first female engineer. And, um, she ended up heading up various parts of their search departments. And uh, was really well known for doing an excellent job over there uh, before she ended up leaving Google to become the CEO of Yahoo. And it was kind of a remarkable thing, really, because people who had been very pessimistic about Yahoo's chances sort of changed their tune or at least switched over to cautious optimism when Meyer came over because I think that she sort of projects this – this aura of, uh, you know, she's got determination. She's got uh, technical skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's known as a, a very good public speaker, although there are some reports saying that she can be challenging to work with, depending yeah. upon whom you ask. So there's there's some optimism that was not really there for Yahoo among certain people. There are plenty of others who are still like, you know. Yahoo is is such a mess that it's going to take more than just a change in leadership to really turn things around. And really, time is the only thing that's going to tell us who's right in that mm-hmm. case. Yeah, Yahoo has been suffering, at least as far as pundits are concerned, with a um, a lack of compelling product recently. I mm. would say, um, based on on what I've read, uh, you know, they've they've built themselves into a a content powerhouse. Um, really uh, bring them re- – sort of reinforcing their image as a portal, as an internet destination when you're looking for information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as, as technical products have uh, 
been concerned. I would say that that Yahoo is sort of uh, dated itself in that way because uh, a while ago, you know, they were known for for their web mail program, uh, for their uh, for their chat. But those those things were, you know, long ago. They're very very commonplace now. They haven't yeah. done a lot of innovation in that sphere, and um, and uh, Meyer has led Google to. Uh, you know, launch several products, some of which are admittedly no longer with us. But, um, you know, she's known as someone who can, who has the technical background, as you said, uh, and can lead in that regard. And I think that's, that has a lot to do with what they, they feel about, uh, Yahoo's rejuvenation. Um, and let's, let's face it, not all of Yahoo's recent, uh, CEOs have been media friendly. Over right. the past while, so sure. I think she adds she adds that multidimensional oomph, um, as, as you were saying. Uh, sticking with early employees of Google, yes, there's also Susan Wojcicki. Yes, mm-hmm. and Wojcicki is the senior vice president of advertising at Google. Now, folks, that's how Google makes the majority of its money, and we're talking billions of dollars. It's all in ads, mm-hmm. and uh, so. Uh, Susan heads up this this entire department that is all about you know generating revenue through advertising, being a senior vice president, and mm-hmm. that's that's a huge job. And she she was the sixteenth employee or sixteenth person hired by Google. Mm-hmm. Now Wojcicki also holds another interesting. Um, title, or I guess you can't really call it, I guess garage owner isn't such a title, huh? <laughs> but no, Wojcicki is, uh, she's the person who owned the garage that Larry Page and Sergey Brin rented when they first had Google as just a couple of computers running their algorithms. Mm-hmm. So she gave them the physical space they needed to house the earliest version of Google. So um, without her, uh, Google would have been homeless, <laughs> or at least garageless. Yeah, her uh, her mom Esther is uh, an educator, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually have been sort of following. She's a uh, she's very active in social media circles and and posts a lot. And I actually sort of came across her through uh, uh, Susan's sister Anne, mm-hmm. who was one of the founders of Twenty Three and Me, the genetics um, organization that uh, has popularized. Uh, Spit in a cup and send it to us, and we'll tell you about your genome. Yeah, we'll tell you, you know, where you descend from, and whether you have certain genetic markers or not. Yeah, it's which I which I think is absolutely fascinating stuff. So it's obvious that uh, uh, the women in that family are um, very interested in science and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, also interesting is that uh, that Anne uh, <clears throat> is also married to uh, Sergey Brin. Yeah. So there, there is a tight Google connection there as yeah. well, which actually explains why, uh, when I was re- first reading about 23andMe, it was because they were interested in, in, you know, he was going, I want to know more about my genome. So it's, uh, uh, very, very tight. Uh, just that connection to that family and, uh, you know, just the, the whole curiosity mm-hmm. idea there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, who, who did you want to talk about next? Well, um, Let's see. There's a there's a CEO of a president CEO of a certain company called HP. Oh yes, mm-hmm. Meg Whitman. Mm-hmm. Uh, now she has led more than one mega uh, mega size tech organization. Yeah, yeah. Now she's 
got a really tough job ahead of her too, just yes. like Marissa Meyer, mm-hmm. uh, in that HP has had a rough couple of of uh, quarters, really rough couple of years. Yeah, uh, I agree. Through some tough acquisitions that didn't work out. I mean, Palm being a, a great example, where HP acquired Palm and the WebOS operating system. And then it just sort of languished for a while, although there has been some recent news about WebOS kind of uh, coming alive again in a limited capacity. Uh, HP is spinning off a, another company that's going to be semi-independent that the WebOS will live under. But yes, um, uh, she's leading that company. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a, and, and I mean, that's one of the, the big historic companies in technology in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, we've done an episode about it. So yeah, now now she uh, she is more of a a business person. Yep, uh, and didn't really start in in tech. She uh, she has a degree from uh, from Princeton University and uh, an MBA from Harvard Business School. Um, and she actually had been working at Procter and Gamble, which, uh, if you're not familiar, is a uh, uh, a company that makes all kinds of uh, products for the home. That's probably what they're best known for: uh, detergents, soaps, um, and other kinds of. Th- and they they make tons and tons of different kinds of products, and they're uh, sold all over the world. Uh, she did, however, work with that that. That was uh, where she had an opportunity to work with someone very famous in tech. And do you know about this? No. The uh, somebody else who worked at Procter and Gamble before he ran off and ate three different detergent brands. Future Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer, huh? Which may explain why he was foaming at the mouth. <laughs> but um, we pick on Steve, but we like Steve. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, yeah, he, uh, Meg Whitman was working at at uh, Procter and Gamble, and then uh, spent. Ten years at uh, at eBay, which is how uh, I came to know who she was, um, and and she led it for a long time. And uh, you know, then she got she sort of uh, nurtured a political ambition. She uh, uh, decided to uh, um, run for governor of California, yeah. which, which is a small state on the west coast of the United States. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's separated uh, by a northern part. That uh, is very different from the southern part, and boy, will they tell you about it. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, after uh, you know, she did not uh, get elected, but uh, that did make her available to run Hewlett Packard when that job became available. So yep. uh, she certainly knows uh, technology and she knows business. So yep. uh, she came in to replace uh, Leo uh, Apotaker. Yeah, I I never can pronounce his name. I've heard his name pronounced about a hundred times, and I don't think it was pronounced the same way twice. Leo A. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Apotheker, if you want to be just terrible about it. Um, that's the way it looks. Yeah, that's the way it, that's the way it's spelled. Uh, but I believe Apotheker is the one mm-hmm. I've heard the most frequently. Yeah. So he uh, he was the person who was in charge through many of the somewhat rocky decisions. Uh, HP acted upon uh, in its recent past. But when Whitman took over, she said this is not an indication or an implication that we are going to change strategy mid-stride. Mm-hmm. It's a change in leadership but not necessarily of approach. So, uh, And that takes a lot of guts to do too. I mean it's because you know, you've got shareholders to answer for 
they say, what are you going to do about these decisions? And, you know, sometimes the answer isn't to just reverse everything you're doing because that can cause even more damage, even though that might not make shareholders happy. So like we said, you know, uh, Whitman has a really, really tough job. You know, when you're uh, when you're uh, running a business that has as many complexities as HP, how many episodes do we do on HP? It was at least two. <laughs> it might have been three. Um, you have to. I, I think when you're you're being charged with turning the company around, I think you have to take your time, just yeah. simply because uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, momentum you've built up behind you. Yeah. So you know, she's she's taking her time and going piece by piece, and and uh, I think that's why people seem to feel. Somewhat confident that that she has a good chance of of helping out. Now, yeah. of course, she wasn't the the only uh, woman to lead HP in the past. Right, uh, Carly Fiorina. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, she she dropped out of law school and then joined AT and T. Um, and 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 she led uh, HP for for quite some time too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because she uh, she started as a sales representative at AT and T when she was twenty five years old. And uh, basically moved on up. I mean, she she was noticed because she knew she seemed to know what she was doing, um, and got generally promoted up through the ranks at AT and T and uh, at Lucent, which um, you know was the technology arm. Got spun off mm-hmm. um, over there, and then uh, joined HP in uh, 1999. Um, she was the first woman to uh, start at a for- Fortune. 100 company as as the CEO, as a matter of fact, hmm. um, and uh, was also a, a board member of Kellogg and Merkin Company. Um, so she, you know, had her uh, had a diverse background, not just in technology. Sure, um, but uh, you know, they uh, she's she's definitely somebody of note in tech. Well, speaking of someone else who's of note in tech, there's Virginia Romney. Oh yes, the first. Female president and CEO of Big Blue, IBM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hal itself. Um, that's just a joke. <laughs> Hal, Hal. Even though, even though the name Hal is in fact one letter off each from IBM, mm-hmm. supposedly there's no connection. Uh, so she worked for General Motors before she came over to IBM, but is now leading that company, and she's credited with, you know. You know, at her time at IBM, she's credited with pushing IBM into the cloud computing business, and you know that was that was a pretty risky maneuver for a company that was very much entrenched in just enterprise solutions for companies um, and designing stuff that other manufacturers can buy. You know, going into the cloud computing business back before it became essentially a household term, at least if you're living in a geeky household, uh, was, you know, it was a pretty big move. And she was also instrumental in maneuvering IBM's Watson, which is the Jeopardy playing computer, mm-hmm. uh, into other uses. Like she, she helped push to have Watson developed for, uh, Things like the the medical field, mm-hmm. which that was the intention from the beginning for Watson, but she helped create those those uh, relationships and leverage that so that what it was designed for and what it does is the same thing. Because that doesn't always happen. Yeah, you know, that's true. In technology, you'll often see companies develop something with the 
uh, with a with a very specific purpose, and yet because it's a technology company, and that purpose may actually lie outside the realm of just whatever it is that company generally does, mm-hmm. it never goes anywhere. Right. And you have to be able to create these relationships and leverage them so that you can get this product where it needs to go so it can do what it was designed to do. And uh, and from what I've read, she was very much instrumental in making that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, also of note is uh, Ursula Burns. Ah, uh, yes, the... Chairman and CEO of Xerox. Yes, yes. Um, Another big, big name in technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and in addition to uh, being notable for being a female CEO of a tech company, she is also uh, the first African-American woman to run a major public corporation in the United States. Um, and she had a, had a big job in front of her, too, because, of course, uh, with computer technology changing the way we we all work, um, Xerox, which bet heavily on its duplication systems, mm-hmm. um, had to compete with not only other people, but they had to compete with uh, organizations that they didn't necessarily have to compete with in prior decades. So they had to do a lot of shifting. And um, basically, uh, she's uh, absolutely, you know, has, she's gotten a lot of credit for Leading Xerox uh, to gradually shifting over to to new industries, from what I've read, um, she uh, she actually also is a uh, part of the White House's program on STEM education, which is uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Right, um, and is part of is the vice chair of the President's Export Council as well. Um, but yeah, she's a she also has a hand in tech. She's not just a a business person. She um, um, is into the technology side as well, and then she worked her way up to the top. Yeah, and you know Xerox has a long history of innovation as well. Yes. So we, you know, for those of us who have only been alive for the last couple of decades, you may not realize that Xerox goes far beyond the copy machine. Yeah. Right. Because Xerox, that, that's what we think of. I'd I'd argue that's what most people think of when they hear Xerox. In fact, it's it's one of those terms that's become so universal that's become a generic term for a copy machine, a Xerox machine. Much to the company's chagrin, right? Just like you know, Kleenex, Band Aids, Jello, etc. These are all companies that have had products that become so well known that they became the generic term for that whatever it was. Yeah, there's a whole list out there. Google it. Yeah, there you go. There's a good one. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, Xerox was has has always been a company that's really been known for innovation. I mean, thanks to Xerox, we have things like graphical user interfaces and the computer mouse. Mm-hmm. These came out of the research and development departments within Xerox. So it's a company that already has a history with innovation. It's good to yeah. see. A, a a new focus on that as well, and that innovation may come in the form of technology, or it may come in the form of they're innovative in that they're getting into fields that they haven't done before. The important thing is to really embrace that. Mm-hmm. And and she can't, like I said, she came up through the ranks too, so she's not somebody that they brought in right. to handle this job. She earned it. Yeah, yeah. Inside, yeah. well, not that that isn't earning it, but she earned it. Working her way up through the company, right. which I, uh, I personally promotions. always find that impressive. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's not to take away from anyone who makes their way in 
in whatever business and then comes over to become a leader of something else. I mean, obviously that in itself is a really tough thing to do and it takes a, a very special person to do that. Well, but yeah, Fiorina over at AT&T and Lucent and then coming over to HP. That sure. Don't mean to disparage that at all. Right. But I always but, think that's But to rise up cool. from the ranks. Yeah. No, that's a great story mm-hmm. because it not only means that they have the ability to lead, but that they actually have that history with the company and that at the, you get a feeling that that's someone who the 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 philosophy of the company the mission statement of the company is more than just words on paper it's yeah. someone who has really believed in that because trust me i mean when you're looking at people who are leading a company you have to realize these are people who have had opportunities to leave and go somewhere else and do something big but they chose to stay with that company mm-hmm. that's a huge statement too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's she's definitely a, a fascinating uh, person, and I, somebody I don't think you don't hear her name like you do some of the other uh, leaders of corporations out there. So, uh, uh, let's see, I, wanted, I wanted to make sure we talked about her. Uh, there's the co-founder of HTC. Ah, uh, yeah, Cher Wong, mm-hmm. and uh, there's somebody else who you don't hear. Yeah, you don't her hear name her name very time. very frequently. And she's an extremely wealthy woman. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, but she was uh, one of the co-founders for HTC. And HTC – recently HTC has been having a pretty rough time in the United States in particular. But uh, for a while, HTC was really an up-and-coming – like they, they, they seem to come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I had never even heard of HTC before the first Android phone in the United States, the G1. When the, when there was the HTC G1, when that launched, I I thought HTC. I don't know who this is, mm-hmm. and I looked into it and I said, well, you know, they've got you know this. They design mobile hardware. It's uh, I'll give it a try, and then I was really taken with the form factor, and I very much enjoyed that phone. And in fact, uh, I currently use an HTC phone as my phone. Um, so yeah, it, they they went from. A name that in the United States had next to no recognition to becoming a dominant player in the smartphone space uh, very, very quickly. Now, recently, that that landscape has changed somewhat. I would argue that the dominant players in the smartphone space right now are, well, Apple, because Apple has been since the introduction of the iPhone. Mm -hmm. In fact, one could argue that Apple is the company – in fact, I don't even think you have to argue it. Apple is the company that – made smartphones a popular choice for consumers in the United States. You know, professionals had been using them for a while, but they hadn't really made a a, a, a break in the consumer market until the iPhone. But HTC was then a, a pretty heavy competitor. Recently, I'd say that Apple and Samsung are probably the two mm-hmm. dominant players in that space in the United States. But HTC is still producing lots of different handsets and for many different um, carriers. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can find it across different carriers. It's not like it's a specific one. Mm-hmm. And I know you uh, you also wanted to mention uh, Safra Katz. Yes. Uh, who is the president of Oracle. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, she has a, uh, a law degree from the University of Pennsylvania um, and uh, a BA and BS uh, from Pen- University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, which is a, a – prestigious business school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she uh, she actually um, had been CFO of the company from 2005 to 2008. Um, 
and then uh, had, you know. Chief financial officer. Yes, that's good. Thank you. I, I'm usually the one who does that. But, uh, you know, this is this is another name that may not be familiar to our listeners, but she had been at the company for quite some time and uh, was, you know, definitely uh, actually since 1999 and uh, had been uh, very instrumental in the company's success. Now, mm-hmm. Oracle is another is one of those tech companies, too, that it, it, it powers a lot of stuff, but the average person on the street may not necessarily know who we're going to have to do an episode on oracle at some point well then we'll there's larry ellison yeah need to do an episode <laughs> on oracle need to do an episode on cisco yep i mean there's some big companies that are really important in technology that you know anyone who works in tech they know the name yeah but for the rest of us who might be interested in technology but we don't live in that world necessarily these names are ones we've heard but we don't really have a good like they do something with computers like that's that's what it, our knowledge tends to boil down to. So we'll have to do episodes that focus on these companies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, actually, uh, that's a good point because I, I I didn't collect a lot of notation on uh, Sandy Lerner from Cisco, but mm-hmm. she was one of the founders of Cisco. Yep. Um, that's funny. I, there's always somebody else that I <laughs> well, <laughs> do these that I go. Oh yeah. I, I will say I will say something about someone who works at Cisco. Uh, a, okay. A woman who holds an. Uh, a leadership position there. Oh, uh, Kathy O'Connell. Yes, she's the communications director at Cisco. So it's her job to be able to communicate with the public about what Cisco does. You know why it's important, the developments that the company is making, and be able to explain the technology in a way that the layperson can understand. Mm-hmm. And I had the pleasure of being on a panel with Kathy O'Connell at an event called the Engage Dig Day mm-hmm. this year. It was earlier this year, this year being 2012, for those of you who are listening in the future. Hi. Uh, <laughs> do we have jetpacks yet? Uh, anyway, Kathy O'Connell and I appeared on a panel about the Internet of Things, mm-hmm. which we've done an episode on. But, yeah, that concept of Internet connections that go beyond a mobile device or a laptop uh, when you're you know, at a hotspot or whatever. It's, it's where the Internet has incorporated lots of different data gathered from sensors that could be in anything from a security camera to your refrigerator to your television to whatever. And uh, uh, so we had this discussion, and it was absolutely fascinating, and uh, it was a real pleasure meeting her and hearing her perspectives on what the future holds as far as the Internet of Things is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to mention her since you had brought it, since we both talked about Cisco there briefly. <laughs> so it was just a personal connection. The yep. the other women that are on this list I have never uh, personally met. I admire them, but <laughs> I have never met them. Um, oh, there's someone I wanted to mention, uh, Elizabeth Barron. I don't oh. know. Did you run across this name? Yeah, I know who she is. So she's a, a technical specialist um, who works for the Ford Motor Company, and her specialty is virtual reality. So um, I, I was reading about her, and the thing that was interesting was – well, a couple of different things were interesting. First of all, she gave her background about how she got interested in the whole virtual reality field in the first place, uh, and I, I can actually – quote here. She says, basically, I am a geek by nature. When I was young, I loved gizmos, photography, and science. I was fascinated by the physics of light, 
color, and optical properties. I learned the art and science of developing and printing photographs. I followed that calling, and it led to an education and career in computer graphics. So here's someone who looks at light and says, that's really cool. I want to know everything there is to know, uh, which is, I mean, curiosity is one of those traits that I find personally uh, one of the – that's one of my favorite traits in, in human – Yeah. Uh, just the human experience yeah, I is agree. the desire to know and to discover. And she certainly uh, embodies that. And she talked about how it was a real challenge to get a virtual reality department within the Ford Motor Company when she got there. It was hard to convince people that this was a valuable uh, asset to the company. And she managed to get a small amount of funding and it was uh, – you know, just barely enough to get moving, but she kept pushing and she got it together and she showed that this immersive virtual reality uh, environment could be a very valuable tool when you're developing vehicles mm-hmm. that, you know, with a very sophisticated simulator model, you can really test stuff out before you ever get to the actual physical prototype stage where you're really committing lots of money to a project. Yep. So if you can test it in a virtual environment and then you say, you know, this design is great, except that according to this virtual model, there's a killer blind spot that I just can't fix here. I mean, the physical, if we, if we represent, uh, you know, create a physical model based upon this, uh, that's going to be a serious problem. So maybe we should rethink that now before we ever build anything. Before it really becomes a killer problem. Yes. I, I, I feel like our discussion would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, yes. uh, the COO of Facebook. Chief Operating Officer. Yep. Uh, she, that's, again, not her only tech uh, job. Right. She was, had a minor role as a vice president of global online sales and operations at Google. Yeah, she you may have also, heard of that company. She's also on. Uh, she was also the chief of staff to the United States Secretary of the Treasury uh, back in uh, from '96 to 2001, where she was just trying to solve tiny little problems like um, forgiving debt in the developing world. Well, you know, she's <laughs> that's a tiny, tiny issue. Well, then there, you know, her credentials, you know, it's just a a master's degree in business administration, an MBA with highest distinction from Harvard Business School and a summa cum laude, that's Latin for you can't get any higher than this degree in economics from Harvard. So, uh, yeah, she seems reasonably qualified. (laughs) I I think reasonably qualified is is an appropriate explanation of her abilities. Yeah. Actually, though, she's, uh, she's another one of those people that, uh, even though she's not the CEO of the company, she has she's also been sort of a standout in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, she has spoken for for Facebook on several occasions. She's somebody where uh, that uh, whose whose face I have seen in the news, and um, you know they they do employ her as a a spokesperson from time to time. Uh, that would follow as her role as chief operating officer, but um, they they obviously feel. Qualify that she's qualified to be a leader and uh, as a spokesperson for the company, and uh, someone else who is uh, a fascinating person involved with technology. She didn't uh, make her name in engineering, but uh, Melinda Gates, yes, to who uh, met some guy at the company she worked for and decided to marry him, Billy. Yeah, but uh, she. Uh, has has been involved with product development at Microsoft, mm-hmm. um, 
and uh, she uh, she married Bill Gates in '94, and uh, basically after that, um, really known for philanthropic work. Yes, and uh, has really built the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation into one of the l- world's leading philanthropic organizations. Yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and she's just a, she's an interesting lady too. Uh, mm-hmm. just doing a little reading about her. She's, a uh, a really cool person to, to get to know. Not that I know her personally, but you from know, what, from, from what, what I've we read. can, what we can glean. Um, and I, I'd also like to mention a, uh, another programmer uh-huh. for the Navy. Okay. Uh, Rear Admiral Grace Murray Hopper. Oh, wow. I didn't come across this. In my oh, you research. didn't? No. Yeah. Um, born in 1906. Uh-huh. Uh, she graduated from Vassar in, in 1928, got her uh, PhD in math from Yale in 1934. Um, she actually uh, was a professor at, at uh, Vassar for a while and joined the Naval Reserve. So she was a backup belly button. Uh, she was a lieutenant junior grade in, in 1944 and, and became... Uh, uh, part of the Bureau of Ordnance and, uh, started working on the, uh, electronic computer. Uh, I'm surprised you don't know Dr. Hopper's name, actually, uh, because she is the person who discovered the first computer bug. Literally. Yeah. They still have it. It was a moth caught <laughs> in between relay number 70, panel F of the Mark II Aiken relay calculator. When they were testing it at Harvard on September 9th, 1947, mm-hmm. and they actually found a bug, a moth, in the machine, removed it. As I recall, we actually talked about this we in did. episode. We yeah. did, and uh, they they still – they have a record of it being debugged right. with the moth taped to the paper. And we still use that term today. Uh, yes, it was uh, at the Naval Surfer – Surface Warfare Center Computer Museum in Dahlgren, Virginia, you can actually see the first computer bug, yep. which I imagine is a bit crunchy by this time, but um, absolutely one of the, the world's uh, first practical programmers. I don't mean to take that away from uh, Ada Lovelace, but um, sure. uh, definitely involved in early, early actual electronic computing um, and a, a fascinating person on her uh, on her own. Um, so uh yeah she retired in uh in 1966 but then uh, went back into active duty so she uh she finally retired um from the navy as a rear admiral in in 85 and uh was still active in industry and education according to her biography as of 1992 when she when she passed away so uh really really cool person that most people again have no idea who she is but uh, if yeah. you want to know who invented the computer bug what well, was the bug itself but she helped discover it. There's some um, women that I think we should mention because they specifically make it a an, a priority to try and promote the tech, technology industry to other women and yes. to to promote science education. You know that STEM education you were talking about earlier, really pushing that so that. So that women who are interested in this don't feel like they're – that like one, that they stand out or that they're unusual. There's mm-hmm. nothing unusual about it. No. Uh, or that there's you know anything weird about pursuing that. They shouldn't feel weird about it and that they should have every opportunity to pursue that because, frankly, the world needs gifted people in these fields. 
Yes. That's what we need. So if there's someone who's interested in it, they should certainly pursue it. So there are a few women who have really gone out of their way to make organizations that are uh, supportive of other women who are either seeking a job in the tech industry or who already have a job in the tech industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Carolyn Layton is one of those. Mm-hmm. She's a founder of the Women in Technology International Organization, and that coordinates events for women who are interested or employed within technology fields. Uh, there's uh, Allison uh, Capen, mm-hmm. who is the founder of Women Who Tech, which is another organization. They hold uh, uh, events that have panels discussing various uh, topics within the field of technology that specifically pertain to women, but also go, you know, beyond the, the whole gender question as well. Mm-hmm. So these are, uh, and there are plenty of other examples. Uh, those are two that I specifically just pulled out from my list who, um, have worked hard to try and promote technology as a viable, uh, pursuit for women who, mm-hmm. who are interested in it. Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, more tech camps promoted and, and uh, opportunities for kids, actually of both genders, um, but you know specifically for girls too, to to get involved in learning how to program, uh, for people to um, um, get into making. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I recommend uh, checking out on YouTube uh, Super Awesome Sylvia's show. Um, she's uh, a young lady who is into uh, making her own electronics. Her dad is, a, uh, I believe, a podcaster on his own, tech podcaster. Huh. Um, and uh, she has a show where she teaches, you know, she shows how to make, to build different kits. Um, she will warn you that soldering can be dangerous, which is good. Um, and just, I just love seeing kids who are interested in it. Uh, but especially, like I said, young women, probably because of my own, uh, my own kids, um, but uh, I'm glad to see that – well, you think about it. Technology, uh, electronic technology and computers is still even in its uh, form as we know it now, still a very young industry. So I, I'm, I'm glad to see that there are more people encouraging kids to get involved, especially girls and young women. And uh, I, I'm sure that uh, the, dis- the disparity between – the genders, uh, you know, as years go on, is going to uh, to even out more. I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, I, I frankly sometimes I get a little worried about STEM education across the board here in the United States. Not, you know, not just directed toward toward uh, women, but you know, just just the state, sure. of, just the state of STEM education in, in the United States at all. So I I hope to see more kids interested in science and i think i actually do and and part of it is because we have we live in a in an era of incredible scientific discovery and i think that's helping encourage kids to look into it more which means that we have to create the programs that support this because one we're going to need it in the future and two that's what the kids need that's yeah. what they want so uh, and i say that as a liberal arts graduate i'm a I'm an English major. What do you do with a BA in English? <laughs> the digital humanities. Ah. Yes. So, uh, like we said, this was just sort of an overview of some of the, the, the amazing women who have really led the technological industry over the last several years. Yeah. And there are so many more. I mean, we could do easily a two hour long podcast just talking about 
a handful of them. And as we said before, many of these women deserve an entire episode in their you know, of their own just to really cover everything that they've done and the contributions they've made to, to women and to technology. Yeah, and this is uh, – uh, keep in mind that this is not to to, um, to disparage anyone who uh, uh, is in programming or somebody – you know, in, in a different role in the tech industry. We, we picked out people who have become notable, uh, you know, noticeable really, I guess, uh, through their, their roles as leaders in their or organizations. But there are women at many levels in all kinds of tech companies who should be lauded for, uh, for what they do because they play an important role. Yeah. So, um, my wife's want, one of them. Yeah, exactly. You know, my wife works in the technology field. She holds a very technical, position at a very large company. And moreover than that, I think my wife needs to be lauded for the fact that she has yet to strangle me. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that, but I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, yeah. My coworkers feel like strangling me, and they spend a fraction of the amount of time that my wife has to spend with me. So that's saying something. Oh, uh, yes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we uh, we touched on, on some of these. And I think uh, several of these people, as you said earlier, too, might, uh, might be good subjects for future podcasts on uh, some of the tech biographies that we're doing. So yeah. So We will probably revisit some of these in the future. Certainly. So I, I would like to recommend to any of our listeners out there, if there's someone in particular you would like us to talk about in a future episode, let us know. Or if there's just some other specific topic that you are dying to hear about, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuffatdiscovery.com or drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. See, guys, I told you we'd talk to you again really soon. That really soon is right now. I'm just reminding you that we have our photo upload widget live on the site at www.howstuffworks.com slash upgrade your tech. Toyota's giving us the chance to let you share your creativity. So send us those pictures of your modifications, your tech ideas, those gadgets that you've created, all those hacks. If you're steampunking everything in sight, put on your goggles and show that to us. We can't wait to see them. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?